month of May in college sports is usually one of the quieter time periods of the year. Football spring practice is well in the books, and in Arizona State's case, three months removed from those sessions. And in college basketball, teams have long concluded any and all roster movements that take place following the end of the previous season. Nonetheless, Arizona State has proven that the term offseason can be quite the oxymoron, as this past month was unusually busy and rarely lacking for news in Tempe. So let's discuss these two sports and all the comings and goings that took place in the last few weeks and its possible implications for the fall. And as always, we'll conclude our podcast with answering your questions about any and all topics concerning Sun Devil Sports. This is the Devil's Junkies Podcast, recapping the month of May. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. If you're a football team such as Arizona State that is not considered to be one of the so-called blue blood programs out there that can really generate news at a drop of a hat any time during the year, it's definitely interesting to see how in the last year, year and a half, Arizona State is able to keep itself in the national spotlight, if you will, when it comes to college football news, regardless of the time of the year. And the latest example of that is the hiring of Marvin Lewis, the longtime head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, who was hired by the Sun Devils as a special advisor and the newest member of its coaching staff. Now, there definitely are some limitations with this position, and really the most notable one is not having the ability to coach players one-on-one, on or off the field. However, there's plenty that Marvin Lewis can do to assist this coaching staff and assist this program. And head coach Herm Edwards, who's obviously a longtime friend of Marvin Lewis, and Marvin Lewis, much like Herm Edwards, was a former client of ASU Athletic Director Ray Anderson, who was a prominent agent of uh, players and coaches the last uh, few decades before he joined Arizona State. Somebody like Marvin Lewis can coach the coaches, as Herm Edwards put it in Marvin's introductory press conference. And someone who, first and foremost, can help Herm Edwards do a better job. And even though Marvin Lewis hasn't coached in the college ranks uh, since the mid-90s, he definitely brings an expert outsider perspective on the program. And even though this coaching staff and this new organizational structure is less than two years old, there's still some aspects, I'm sure, that can be refined. And sometimes it's better to have that outside pair of eyes, if you will, to lend their expertise and their advice on how to do things better when it comes to the coaching staff. And that's something Marvin Lewis can provide and really, I think, provide in spades with all of his experience. Some of Marvin Lewis's additional duties as a member of the staff is to be active in evaluating both the current players on the ASU roster as well as his recruiting prospects. He can be involved in recruiting only in on-campus activities. So in other words, if a prospect comes for an official or even an unofficial visit, they can interact with Marvin Lewis. And I think there's something to be said when you're a prospect and seeing just one more 
former NFL coach or player on ASU staff. And as a reminder, besides Marvin Lewis, you also have linebackers coach Antonio Pierce, who is a pro bowler, Super Bowl champion. Offensive analyst Kevin Mawai, who's considered to be the best center to ever play in the NFL and is being inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame this summer, is another asset when it comes to having that NFL credibility on the staff. Obviously, Herm Edwards, ASU's head coach, has been a head coach in the NFL for nearly 10 years and even longer than that as far as being an assistant coach in that league. So with some recruits where NFL experience on a college staff does matter for recruits that have genuine and I should say also realistic aspirations to play at the next level, I think that Arizona State definitely fits the bill as far as showing a high level of NFL experience on its staff and really lending more credibility to any narrative that they can offer any prospect out there in terms of can you get to the NFL? How do you get to the NFL following your college playing career? So when it comes to just the public relations aspect of his hire, again, keeping Arizona State compared to other Pac-12 teams out there relevant and talked about during a quote-unquote slow time of the year in college football is something that I think is worth his weight in gold. Marvin Lewis's quotes definitely indicated that he saw a very energetic program here at Arizona State, and obviously having an organizational structure that is very similar to an NFL team is something that's appealing to him. Marvin Lewis mentioned that he has pretty strong ties here to the Valley, uh, people may forget, but uh, he was a very good friend of former Arizona State football head coach Dirk Cutter. So during the Cutter era in Tempe, Marvin Lewis is somebody who uh, frequently visited Arizona State. One thing that was not mentioned, I don't believe, during his uh, introductory uh, press conference was the fact that he was the only head coach to attend Arizona State's Pro Day when uh, former linebacker Vontez Perfect declared early for the draft and very interesting move uh, for somebody who ended up being a free agent and not uh, being selected in those seven rounds. But he ended up uh, playing in the NFL and you guessed where uh, with Marvin Lewis and the Cincinnati Bengals and Marvin Lewis's daughter went to Arizona stage, got, got married over here earlier this decade. So I think it's not just his relationship with Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson, but also just his affinity to the Valley as a house over here as well, as all the makings of somebody who just made retire over here at Arizona State and really be here in the long run. And rather than just having this being a launching pad to another coaching job in the future or maybe a job in the media or, or anything like that. So I think that's another important aspect uh, of the hire that probably wasn't discussed uh, all that much. So all in all, for all the reasons that I mentioned, I think this was a great coaching hiring move by Arizona State, and I do believe that it's going to pay dividends to the program, both in the short and the long run. Keeping in a the theme of additions to the program, Arizona State landed its first in-state pledge of the 2020 class. 6'5", 270-pound offensive lineman Ben Bray from Mesa Red Mountain. Something that we mentioned uh, quite a bit 
in the last several weeks in my premium uh, message board, The Devil's Huddle, is that Arizona State really has to target the offensive line heavily, no pun intended, in this upcoming recruiting class. Arizona State is going to see six seniors depart the program following the 2019 season and not a whole lot of experience behind those group of players. So Arizona State is definitely a program you'll see dip into the junior college ranks when it comes to offensive linemen. But at the same time, I don't think anybody should expect Arizona State to sign a handful of offensive linemen who are junior college transfers. And I think you'll see those type of pledges as they usually happen later on in the year. But good for Arizona State to start securing some commitments from the high school ranks at this position. And Ben Bray is definitely a good start in that regard. So what kind of player is Arizona State getting at Ben Bray? At the time of his commitment, we turned to our local recruiting analyst who weighed in on this topic. And they mentioned that uh, Ben Bray is somebody that, even with a 6'5", 270 frame, is somebody who moves laterally really well, somebody who probably even has the ability to add 20 pounds or so of good weight and still uh, keep that mobility and obviously probably only getting stronger with that increased mass. Standing at 6'5", Ben Bray, just like any other lineman his size, will have to keep on working diligently on proper pad level. At the same time, this is a player who's extremely high IQ, both on and off the field. Bray has a 4.7 GPA, scored a 30 on his ACT test, and as you can imagine, several Ivy League schools came knocking on his door. However, Bray, simply put, was a Sun Devil fan growing up. He saw it as fulfilling a dream, playing for this program. And I know that Sun Devil fans out there that are pretty cynical when it comes to in-state recruits normally looking for greener pastures can definitely appreciate the fact that here's a young man that grew up as a fan of the program, attended dozens of games in his early years, and now is playing for the hometown team and very proud of doing so. So that is definitely a positive when it comes to Arizona State's recruiting class, more importantly, its in-state recruiting efforts. I know this podcast is supposed to be devoted to everything that happened in the month of May, but I hope you indulge me and let me mention one more addition to the Arizona State football program that actually took place yesterday on June 1st, and that is 2020 Harbor City, California cornerback Mason Williams that committed to Arizona State had Oregon and Tennessee in his top three. Williams is ranked as the number 30 cornerback in the 2020 class nationally. Somebody who, when you see film, you can uh, definitely see both great athleticism and just pure skill set for cornerback, along with a very good football IQ, seems to do a great job always reading the quarterback and the wide receiver properly, playing the ball very aggressively. And somebody who I think might be just a little underrated in the class, we'll see what his final ranking will be at the end of his senior year. But for a team like Arizona State, who really needs to build up some depth at the cornerback spot, I think 
having somebody like Mason Williams join the ranks is definitely a significant move for the Sun Devils. Also landing somebody from Southern California, from Narborn High School, one of the more prominent prep programs in that region of the country. Works very well for Arizona State and obviously linebackers coach Antonio Pierce, who has deep ties to that region, was instrumental in the recruiting of Williams. And Williams is definitely one player that I feel, along with somebody like Chad Johnson, the wide receiver who committed earlier in the year from that class, help lure players from a very fertile recruiting region of the country. By no means am I expecting this to be the last addition to Arizona State's 2020 class in the month of June. I expect more players to join the ranks in the next two, three weeks. I talked about that extensively in our recruiting snapshot, which is located in my premium message board, The Devil's Huddle. So if you're not a member already, I would encourage you to sign up today and read all about it so you can be ahead of the curve when it comes to all the news concerning Arizona State's 2020 recruiting class. So now that we got the good news out of the way when it comes to Arizona State football in the month of May, let's talk about the news that potentially can be bad. And that is a another player announced his intentions to transfer out of the program, enter his name in the transfer portal. And that is senior cornerback Dominic Dom Harrison, who is entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. So there's several ways you can look at this transfer from Arizona State's perspective. And I think, first and foremost, what does it mean in terms of the depth and the talent of the cornerback position? Now, truth be told, Dominic Harrison was never going to contend for a starting job. Arizona State is extremely lucky going into the 2020 season to have a tandem of starting quarterbacks who are going to be three-year starters. That's something that is unheard of, not only in the Pac-12, but really across college football. So when it comes to somebody like Harrison leaving the program, you're really talking about more of a depth player. So now the question is, how much does his departure hurt Arizona State's depth at that position? Objectively speaking, I think there is a potential that it could have an adverse impact. You do have the two established starters, Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas. Behind him right now, you have senior Darren Cornet and sophomore Tamarcus Davis, both of them with somewhat limited experience. Uh, Tamarcus Davis is a transfer from Baylor, somebody who really impressed as a scout team player, but I thought in the spring, especially in the first two weeks when uh, Chase Lucas was absent, I don't think that he made strong enough of a case to really contend for starting position and even really distinguish himself as somebody who could be a solid depth player. Now, that could definitely change in fall camp, but we're just talking about early impressions right now as he moved off the scout team and into the two deep. Those are observations that we can note as a result of spring practice. Uh, Darren Cornet, 
serviceable uh, cornerback who maybe still being on the team can negate a loss such as Dom Harrison, but that still really remains to be seen. I think Harrison is somebody who showed some flashes during the season as well as the subsequent spring practice. So is this one of those losses where I wouldn't call it detrimental, but I also wouldn't be that quick to dismiss it. When you look at the rest of the depth chart at cornerback, you really have just two true uh, freshmen, uh, Jordan Clark and, and Kean Markham, who are the only two cornerbacks in that group. So it's a fairly young position group, but not one that I would say has a glaring lack of experience. And again, I mean, somebody like Harrison could add more of an element of experience to that unit. But again, it's just one of those losses where you're not quite sure to label it as being significant or not. In theory, I'm not expecting any other players to depart prior to Arizona State's fall camp, which begins the first week of August. So we can now take a step back and look at the overall impact and maybe individual impact in some cases of all the players who from the beginning of the 2018 season until now decided to leave the program. So when you look at the uh, Mac review, if you will, of all these departures, which are again, 15 players, Arizona state right now sits in terms of total scholarship players by our count at 69. And I don't believe that in any point in my 20 years of covering Arizona State football that it entered fall camp with that low of a number of scholarship players. So when you look at overall depth at all the positions, it is definitely a situation that is less than ideal because whether it's attrition by injury or just attrition by players who don't feel like they're fitting in and want to leave the program, you definitely want your numbers to be as high as possible and as close as possible to the NCAA-mandated 85 scholarship limit. And right now at 69, not only are you lacking bodies for the 2019 season, but even if you had full classes in the 2020 and 2021 years, you still would be a good five, seven scholarship players under that threshold. So not the best of situations to be in. And they'll definitely be curious to see how Arizona State is able to successfully navigate those scholarship number waters. In terms of the player departures that I feel are going to have more of an impact on the Sun Devils than others, the players that I listed would be defensive linemen Jalen Bates and Darius Slade, just because the numbers of that position and something that we talked about at length, both in this podcast and also on my message board, were dangerously thin. And Arizona State could definitely use as many bodies as possible up front on defense. So not having Bates and Slade in spring practice is something that definitely impacted the overall development of that group and something that can definitely have an adverse impact on the overall talent going into the 2019 season. And another player that I thought would be deemed as a significant loss is a fullback, Nick Ralston, somebody who is one of the more higher football IQ players on the team, at least used to be, and someone that with Arizona State, I think even putting in heavier emphasis on the running game 
this year, and that's an aspect we'll talk about as we get closer to the beginning of the 2019 season. But as you can imagine, with an inexperienced quarterback, I feel that as much as of an emphasis that we saw on the ground attack of ASU in the 2018 season, that that's definitely going to be the norm going forward. And Nick Ralston could be a really big part of that, not only because of his blocking abilities, but just overall having a deep understanding of the scheme and being, I would say, at worst, a serviceable receiving target out of the backfield. But really, aside from those three players, and I'm not going to go name by name in terms of the other individuals, but I don't think Arizona State coaching staff is really losing much sleep, if any sleep at all, over the other departures. You just have individuals that personality-wise does not did not fit with the Sun Devils, really had several discipline issues that led to their eventual departures. And on the other hand, you just have players where would be, at best, a second-teamer, if that, depending on how fast the newcomers of this class, especially in the defensive backfield, were able to integrate themselves and really make an impact early on in fall camp. So I know that the raw numbers in terms of having 15 players in the last I would say eight or nine months departing the program is really high of a number and something that can set off some alarms, but you would have to look at it in two different planes over here. One overall scholarship number. Yes. I think that it does adversely impact Arizona state and really leaves a very small margin of error for attrition, whatever the attrition reason can be. On the other hand, if those players were on the roster, what kind of contribution would they effectively have on the team? And like I said, in most cases, I don't think that that contribution level would be as high as to say that those players were a significant loss, at least in most cases, of the players who transferred out. Objectively speaking, there's definitely something to be said of a higher than normal attrition rate during a head coach's first year. And Michelle Gardner from the Arizona Republic compiled the numbers, and you can uh, clearly see that Arizona State really more or less falls in line with other Pac-12 teams that did have a first-year head coach in 2018 in terms of how many players left the program. UCLA leads the pack, if you will, with 16. Arizona State right behind there with 15, and University of Arizona at 13. So it's definitely valid to point at the overall scholarship numbers on ASU's roster as being a concern, being so low, just under 70 players. But in terms of the number of players that transferred under a first-year head coach and the subsequent months to follow that season, Arizona State is definitely not an outlier in that respect, at least compared to its Pac-12 foes. In Marvin Lewis's introductory press conference, I thought that head coach Herm Edwards had some really interesting comments talking about the transfer portal and just the attrition that took place specifically with Arizona State. Edwards said that the transfer portal has unintended consequences for the players that actually put their name in that system because you have a 
classic situation where supply exceeds demand quite a bit. And a lot of these players from Power 5 programs like Arizona State are very, very likely not to continue their college football career at a Power 5 program, let alone, in some cases, maybe a Division One program. A lot of players will have to go Division Two. might have to go the junior college route just to re-enter Division One program down the road. So that's something that maybe some players are not really thinking ahead of time when they put their name in the transfer portal. And I understand that at the end of the day, players just want to play. And I don't mean to oversimplify that with a cliche, but that's really what it comes down to. And a lot of college football players are not content being a second teamer at best. And they just want to go to a program which may not have the the lure of being a Power 5 program, being a team in the Pac-12, but just being a program where they get to play early and often, maybe even be a starter. So that is definitely a legitimate reason to transfer. But the problem is that I don't know how many players in their own mind are ready to make that mental switch, if you will, going from a Power 5 program to a Group 5 program, to an FCS program, let alone going Division 2, Division 3, junior college. And that's something that you may never know the full truth of whether a player from Arizona State or any other Power 5 program that entered their name into the transfer portal do ultimately regret the decision to do so. And I think it's also something to be said about the quality of education. When you look at Arizona State's graduation numbers among student-athletes, not only with the football program, this is definitely a school that you can get a good degree from. And players can still be on scholarship at Arizona State and not be part of the football team. Now, very, very few players do take advantage of that. Linebacker Lauren Mundy, in recent years, is the only player that I can think of where was told that he would be better off transferring out of the program, and he decided to stay at Arizona State just as a full-time student, not part of the football program, and is continuing his education as we speak. I mean, I think he still may transfer out of the school to play football somewhere else, but at least in the uh, first 12 months or so that he was no longer part of the football program, he decided to stay as a student. So that is something that's available for players who leave the program, but a lot of them just do want to play elsewhere and put their name in the transfer portal. Again, not sometimes fully realizing what are the full consequences of that action. But for Herm Edwards, it just really comes to the competition aspect of it all. And he flat out said that seniors are not going to play because they're seniors. They're going to play because they beat out the freshmen that are coming into the program this year or the returning sophomore junior players on the team. And Herm Edwards feels that the new crop of players, especially at defensive back, are just, in some cases, higher caliber players than those who left the program. So in Herm Edwards' eyes, those are not always significant losses when he sees players enter themselves in the transfer portal, knowing what he has, at least in his opinion, and at least in theory, coming in in terms of the players in the 2019 class. Herm Edwards said he never has any ill will 
towards players that do decide to leave the program. Him and his staff try their best to place them in a good program once they do leave Arizona State. But again, Herm Edwards, rightfully so, and I think no different than any other coach out there, is all about competition. And I think that is one aspect that can be very appealing to recruits out there, knowing that Arizona State is a program that will play the best players regardless of their seniority. Arizona State had, at times on the field last season, six freshmen or true freshmen playing on defense. So, again, it just comes back to the credibility of your recruiting narrative. And when you go out there and tell players that you can play as a freshman and we're not afraid to play young players, then you can show tangible proof just by looking at starting lineups in some of the games in 2018 to show prospect players that this is not a hollow narrative that Arizona State will play the best players. Just like going back to my earlier point, when Arizona State says that it has a staff full of coaches that know what it takes to play in the NFL, they point to Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, Antonio Pierce, Kevin Mawai, and so on and so forth to illustrate that point. So I thought very interesting comments by Herm Edwards, really comments that you don't hear from other college coaches out there that really puts in perspective the whole attrition aspect that took place with this program in the last eight, nine months. It's anybody's guess how much this attrition does or does not affect Arizona State in the years to come, but I think in some aspects there is some method to the madness, if you will, and Arizona State is probably not the outlier that many think it is when it comes to losing 15 players during the first year of a head coach. But uh, again, it's just uh, all, it all comes down to how much a program can absorb those losses from its roster, and that is still a question mark that's out there. Moving to the hardwood, let's talk about ASU basketball and everything that transpired in the month of May, and it was a pretty busy period of time for the Sun Devils in this sport as well. As we know, replacing frontcourt players on this team was at the utmost importance of the 2019 class. Arizona State lost departing seniors Zylan Cheatham and Daquan Lake, as well as two other frontcourt players from last year who transferred out, Yorish Plasvic and Vitali Scheibel. Now, when it comes to the losses of the last two players, you definitely have to make a distinction in terms of which departure is or was going to hurt Arizona State more. Vitaly Scheibel is someone who really had a limited skill set. Really, it was a bad omen, I think, just when he arrived over here blowing out his ACL, needing to redshirt his first year in Tempe, and really from there on out, 
was not able to find his niche with Arizona State, uh, even though he started a few games in the 2017-18 season, it was really more out of necessity rather than really beating out other players in his position, what have you. And the type of player where Bobby Hurley was more than happy to land earlier in his tenure at Arizona State, but as the recruiting classes got better and better, and we'll talk about that a little later on, there really wasn't a room for a player of the uh, caliber of Scheibel. I give him credit for landing in a team like UNLV, which is a pretty solid landing spot in terms of still being on the West Coast, pretty good community to live in and to go to school in. So at least in that sense, uh, he was able to capitalize, if you will, on the decision to leave Arizona State and not needing to go to a program that would be less prestigious, for lack of a better term, or going to a part of a country that may not be that desirable to live in. When it comes to U.S. Plasovic, it's kind of mixed emotions, at least for me, on this one. I think he's somebody who could definitely be the future of the center position at Arizona State, a seven-footer who was pretty nimble for his size, was really a more athletic version of Jordan Bashinsky from earlier this decade. And a player that I think would really reward you with his patience. Now, I know some folks are pointing to the fact that some recruiting services had him rated as a four-star prospect, top 20 center in the 2018 class, top 120 player in that class. And I think that when you put those expectations on a player that ended up redshirting his first year in Tempe, you're kind of scratching your head and saying, okay, was uh, the evaluation of somebody like Plastic just way too generous, especially due to the fact that when he was a Cleveland State commit, uh, he was not ranked at all, not even one star, let alone being a top 20 center, etc. So I don't think Arizona State is the type of program where players of that caliber, at least recruiting-wise, get to ride the bench hard as a player redshirts. I think definitely with the struggles of Daquan Lake, if Yours Plasvic was all that, according to his recruiting profile, then he could surely find some playing time as a true freshman. But I also think that's a player that would probably reward you for his patience. Usually the front court players do take a little longer to develop than your backcourt or wing players out of high school. So he's somebody that also the, the Bobby Hurley and the staff spoke pretty highly of as highly as you can of a player who redshirts. So this is a loss that if ASU is not able to recruit well at that position in the next couple of classes, then this may come to bite you. And by the way, yours Plasmic, to his credit, is going to a very good program in Tennessee, a team that probably should be top 25 next year how much playing time he sees. And by the way, unless he wins an NCAA appeal, he's going to have to sit out a second consecutive year. Uh, You talk about the sacrifice for such a young player. Uh, I don't know if that's really a testament to one's personality or not really thinking this through in terms of transferring out of a program, which he could have played and probably even played quite a bit this coming season. But nonetheless, when it comes to comparing him to Scheibel and as far as a potential impact on the team, then I think there's no question that Plastic's impact is greater, but how much greater remains to be seen. Now, obviously, when it comes to that impact, 
it's also important to see who Arizona State brought in in the 2019 class in terms of front court players to see if they were able to appropriately compensate for those player losses. So the first junior college player that signed with Arizona State was Andre Allen from Yuma's Arizona Western Community College, a player that averaged 13.3 points and 8.4 rebounds for the 25-9 Matadors, somebody that has really been lauded for his versatility. I see a lot of uh, Jeff Prenigraph or Jeff Ayers, as he's called these days, in his game, in his physique, and really also in the way he just conducts himself. Really enjoyed uh, talking to him on the phone a couple of times during the during the recruiting process. He said that uh, not only the not only his athleticism, but also his IQ for the game and his ability to defend multiple positions is something that really appealed to the Arizona State coaches when they did recruit him. This is a player that was easy to vet, if you will, for Bobby Hurley because Allen did commit to Buffalo. And once its head coach, Nate Oates, somebody who Hurley is very close to, left for Alabama, then Allen decided to reopen his recruitment. And Hurley obviously was able to get a full and thorough scouting report from Oates on Andre Allen. And that definitely helped the decision for Arizona State to pursue him. Not that Allen is really a player in ASU's backyard, but still being an in-state player, there was obviously a sense of comfort for Allen going to a program that he did follow somewhat during his years there in Yuma, obviously played in the Valley when Arizona Western would face some of the programs here in Maricopa County. Arizona State definitely lost a lot of rebounding with the departure of Zylan Cheatham. And even Lugens Dort from his guard position was a solid rebounder. So I think when you land somebody like an Andre Allen, that can definitely help Arizona State. And bringing in a junior college transfer, you're able to get that immediate help rather than try to rely on a high school player like Jalen Graham, who may redshirt or may need some seasoning until he can be a significant contributor. So you're taking the pressure off somebody like Jalen Graham. If, if George Plaswick was still here, probably taking the pressure off of him to be an immediate contributor. And just get a player that, at least in theory, out of the gates, can really help you with your post-game, with your ability to rebounding, which Arizona State really has to compensate, like I said, with the losses of Zylan Cheatham and Lugan Stord, and to a lesser extent, even somebody like a Daquan Lake. The second player that Arizona State landed in the 2019 class in the month of May was another junior college forward, Khalid Thomas, who was a former commit to Texas Tech, somebody who actually chose Arizona State over Oregon, which was his hometown school, a four-star junior college prospect, which is somewhat of a rarity when ranking players from those ranks. He was highly recruited in his first year having offers from the likes of LSU, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Arizona, Baylor, Florida State, to name a few. And a player that, due to a broken foot injury in his sophomore year, really saw his numbers dip and decided that Texas Tech ultimately was not the place for him. I know the Red Raiders were getting some grad transfers at his position. So he reopened his recruitment and he talked about Arizona State really pouncing on him, for lack of a better term, right when his recruitment opened, and they were able to make a very strong impression from, from day one. Obviously, we were able to have him officially visit 
Arizona State, and he committed uh, to the school two days later, or at least committed publicly. Really, really, he gave his pledge to the coaches the next day. And Thomas is somebody who is the classic stretch four, a position that we're seeing more and more in college basketball, less of the physical down low post player, somebody who's really a skilled outside shooter can really spread the defense, make it harder for the opponent to locate all the shooters, whether it's in transition or just in a set offense. So that's an element that I think that Arizona State was even lacking last year. I mean, as much as Island Cheatham contributed in so many other areas, outside shooting wasn't one of them. So when him and Romello White were on the floor, I think sometimes it was easier for opposing offenses to score from the perimeter during such scenarios, especially scenarios that Romello White and Daquan Lake were on the floor at the same time as well. So having that true stretch four, I think, really helps Arizona State quite a bit. I feel still think it could be a contributor on the re- rebounding side, but I just don't know if his greatest contribution would actually be in that department versus other namely outside shooting. I think this also takes the pressure off Tayshawn Cherry, who's going to be a sophomore this year, to really be an immediate contributor. Don't get me wrong. I think uh, Tayshawn Cherry has a great, great potential, a high ceiling on the roster compared to his teammates. But you're just allowing him to develop at a rate that maybe would be more comfortable with. I personally thought that at times when he came off the bench, he did provide that spark namely with a three-point shooting that really helped the team at times. And to have the same role, again, just bringing him up slowly in his overall development is, I think, a factor that can really help Arizona State quite a bit this year. And again, just really taking off the pressure of your young players that at this point of their career just may not be ready to assume much greater roles than the previous year. So when you look at this recruiting class overall, you're definitely impressed with the fact that three out of the six signees with Arizona State are four-star prospects. Two of them from the junior college ranks, Alonzo Verge and Khalid Thomas. So not only higher caliber prospects, but also prospects that in theory are ready to contribute from day one compared to a high school player that even if highly rated may have a little time or needs a little time, I should say, to develop their game. You also look at just the progression of the recruiting classes under Bobby Hurley in Rivals.com in 2018. This class was ranked 24th, something that uh, was definitely not commonplace under previous coaches at Arizona State. And here we are with the late push of the two junior college players who signed with the Sun Devils. Arizona State's class is number 18. So recruiting class ranking is definitely progressing in the right direction. And I think to have a class ranked this high after losing two players in Lugens Dort and Zylan Cheatham, who very well could be both drafted by the NBA later on this month, definitely Lugens Dort, but I think Zylan Cheatham has an excellent chance as well. I think that when you look at the rebuilding assignment that Bobby Hurley and his staff had, they've answered the call quite well. Having a recruiting class that is ranked that high And again, having junior college players who I feel address a very dire need that ASU had in the front court. They lost Island Cheatham and Daquan Lake due to graduation. They lost Vitaly Scheibel and Joros Plasvic due to a transfer. And it might have been hard 
if not borderline impossible, to replace somebody like Zylan Cheatham in this recruiting class. But when you look at the two players that transferred, Scheibel and Plasterick, I definitely think that signing players like Andre Allen and Khalid Thomas, you've done more than just replace them. You probably upgraded your overall front court depth on the team. And let's face it, I know the Pac-12 had nowhere to go up as a conference from last season, which is an absolute dreadful campaign for the league as a whole. It's definitely going to be a much tougher conference for Arizona State to contend with. But they have taken, I think, the necessary steps to position themselves to finish in the upper echelon of the Pac-12. And if those newcomers, especially from the junior college ranks, can really hit the ground running, then Arizona State finishing second in the Pac-12 like they did last year, uh, qualifying a third year in a row to the NCAA tournament, something that was not achieved since the net walk days uh, in Tempe back in the 70s, I think is something that is definitely in the grasp of Arizona State. And really, from year to year, you are going to have the attrition and those who are able to address that aspect of their team successfully are the ones who are able to succeed, let alone sustain success. And I think Arizona State, if nothing else, put themselves in a position to do exactly that in the 2019-2020 season. Mama Mavis, oh, mama, they try my patience. It's gone. Who was left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say I'm dangerous. I speak for the nameless. I fly with the vultures. I be with them bangers. If change don't come, then the change won't come. If the bands make them dance, then the rain gon' come. Well, I wasn't planning to talk ASU baseball today, but after their season ended with a bitter 13-12 loss to Southern Miss, it's really impossible to gloss over that sport and that topic and everything that transpired with this program, not only in the postseason, but really the entire year. Arizona State finishes the 2019 campaign with a 38-19 record. It's a team that started the season, as we all know, with a very fluff non-conference schedule, jumped to a 25-1 record. The optimistic fans were definitely encouraged, felt that this is the year that Arizona State can really break through after back-to-back 23-win seasons in 2018 and 17, the worst campaigns by far for this storied program. There was hope that maybe 2019 did signal the turning around of the corner, if you will. But the folks that were pessimistic, that thought the 25-1 and record was all but a mirage, were ultimately the ones that are going to be on the right side of history. Following that start, Arizona State proceeded to win just 12 of their next 28 games. Granted, it was a very tough Pac-12 conference this year, even in the history of this conference, a little of an anomaly to see three teams in Oregon State, UCLA, and Stanford that were consistently in the top 10, top 15 rankings seamlessly all year long. But it's not only Arizona State losing the series to those three teams, but also losing series to teams like USC and Washington, teams that were nowhere close to being in the postseason bubble. And I think 
to me, that was probably more of a warning sign than losing a series to a UCLA or a Stanford or an Oregon State in terms of what the true capabilities, what the true talent level was on this team. The extremely thin pitching staff was an element of this program that we mentioned in our preseason preview of the Sun Devils, something that could definitely come back and hinder them in the year. Now, truth be told, during the non-conference, albeit against a caliber of opponents that was very low, as we mentioned, AC was able to make do with the inexperience and just the low numbers of its pitching staff. But again, in the latter half of the season, especially in Pac-12 play, those pitching issues were exposed time and time again. And in the three games in the postseason, those shortcomings have really been a glaring deficiency, and that's probably being kind way to describe this. Arizona State, in the last three games, allowed 26 runs with two outs. Their bullpen failed them greatly today against Southern Miss, but uh, even against the other two opponents, the first time they played Southern Miss, and to some extent against Stony Brook, didn't have the strongest of showings. And Arizona State finishes the season losing a 13-12 and 12 game, a game that they led at one point 10-2, a game that they surrendered seven runs in the last two frames. There's obviously no pretty or noble way to end your postseason. There's definitely disappointment when that game and that defeat comes. But to happen in this fashion is extremely disappointing and just highlights all the criticism that this program has faced, not only this year, but in the last three years of the program. So the million-dollar question on a Sunday night is, what happens to Tracy Smith? What is his future as the Arizona State skipper? Athletic Director Ray Anderson has stood by Tracy Smith during two very trying campaigns in 2017 and 18. Again, the lowest point of the program by far. Even though the record itself at the end of the 2019 season is 15 wins better than last year, to say that the future of Tracy Smith and Tempe is on shaky ground would be an understatement tonight. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know what exactly Ray Anderson is prepared to do or not to do in light of Arizona State's 2019 season in light of the struggles that it experienced in Pac-12 play, let alone in the postseason. But I think the easiest statement to make is that if Ray Anderson felt very good about Tracy Smith's future a couple months ago, that the events that took place in the last month, month and a half, has definitely given Ray Anderson a different perspective, has definitely given him a lot to think about when it comes to Tracy Smith's future. There's no way to overstate the disappointment that the Sun Devil fans have right now with the program. And needless to say that in the age of social media, those voices of dissent are very loud, very clear, and impossible for anybody in the ASU administration to ignore. 
I know that Tracy Smith had to clean the program up from some of its bad elements. And for that, he should be commended. But at the same time, the fruits of your labor, the rate of success that needs to follow your efforts to clean up, that needs to follow your recruiting efforts, which hopefully we're supposed to get better from year to year, has to show. I think a good analogy would be ASU basketball coach Rob Evans, who had a major cleanup project to do after Bill Frieder left the program and was given a mulligan, for lack of a better term, not having the greatest of campaigns his first few years in Tempe. And not that they're all horrible, but he only qualified for the NCAA tournament once, I think five or six years into his tenure, which definitely signaled at least a temporary getting over the hump for Rob Evans at that time. But he was not able to sustain that success. Now with Tracy Smith, I think the trajectory is just a little different. He did make the postseason his first two years in Tempe, mainly due to the fact that he was able to enjoy the services of players that he did not recruit. Once the roster became more and more Tracy Smith's classes, that's when we saw the struggles of winning 23 games in back-to-back season. This year, as I mentioned, getting off to such a hot start was nothing but the mirage that Tracy Smith's critics thought it would be, and it all came crashing down in the last 30 or so games of the year. And Tracy Smith, like I said, finds himself in a very, very tough situation where an athletic director that stood by him through very, very tough times may have to, whether it's pressure from university president Michael Crow, whether it's pressure from the big donors of the program, whether it's pressure from the fan base at large, needing to make a change. I expect Ray Anderson to make some kind of statement, either backing up Tracy Smith or dismissing of his services in the next 48 hours. Well, really, really interesting to see what transpires. But one thing is crystal clear that even though, as I mentioned, the record definitely does show improvement from last year and from two years ago, there is no way that the Arizona State fan base at large is content with what transpired with the 2019 season and would probably view this campaign no different at all from the 2018 and 17 seasons, which were extremely, extremely trying and extremely difficult to swallow. So here we are at the last segment of our podcast, and maybe the favorite one for some of you, is answering your questions concerning all topics Sun Devil Sports. All the questions come in our premium message board, The Devil's Huddle, and I would definitely encourage you to uh, subscribe so you can get even more insight beyond this podcast on Arizona State football, basketball, and baseball. So the first question from The Huddle comes from Patton42. The way recruiting is going for football, do you expect this to be a top 25 class? or even higher? 
it's really hard to say this early in the process where the class is headed. I think historically, no matter who the head coach is in Tempe, Arizona State is a program that really makes more noise with this recruiting class, if you will, towards the end of the season rather than earlier in the season. Realistically speaking, I think Arizona State would have to, at minimum, win the South, at minimum win 9-10 games to have a realistic chance to be a top 25 class. Arizona State has a lot of good things to offer recruits in terms of location, facilities, NFL experience on the coaching staff, etc. But at the end of the day, wins and losses is the ultimate measuring stick for so many aspects concerning your program and recruiting is definitely not immune to that. If you're pressing me for a preseason prediction right now, I think Arizona State can duplicate the seven wins it had from last year. I think the Pac-12 South is wide open. I'm not ready to call Arizona State a contender for the Pac-12 South. I might change my opinion between now and September, but again, I feel that if it wins the Pac-12 South, if it wins two, three more games than it did last year, then a top 25 recruiting class is definitely within the Sun Devils' grasp. The next question comes from, and I love this guy's post, but man, he has a hard name to pronounce on a podcast, ATXSATXS. Your guess is good as mine is how to pronounce that. Jordan Simone, who's an Arizona State sideline reporter, former player for Arizona State, obviously, in a recent podcast categorically said and doubled down that true freshman Janine Daniels would be the starting quarterback in 2019. Do you have the same level of confidence as Jordan does that Daniels will win the starting job? Something I mentioned several times already on my premium message board, The Devil's Huddle, is that I think that Jaden Daniels is definitely going to be given more leeway to win this job. I think that Arizona State coaches, if they feel that the competition may be too close to call between Jaden Daniels and junior Dylan Sterling Cole, that they might opt to go with Daniels just because of the seemingly highest ceiling that he has. There's no doubt that Daniels really impressed in spring practice. I think lived lived up to a lot of his accolades a part of me is just a little careful of maybe overstating what we saw in spring practice from Daniels. I feel that the defense, with his notable issues at defensive line, didn't really present that much of a force that would consistently pressure Daniels, or really any ASU quarterback for that matter, to see how the any signal call on this roster would really operate under duress. So I'm hoping that if nothing else, fall camp can give us a more accurate picture of that specific facet of the offense as a whole, again, regardless of who the quarterback is, to really measure how successful this offense can be with an inexperienced quarterback. But again, to answer your question, it wouldn't shock me if Jaden Daniels was the starter in week one. Wouldn't shock me if he would be the starter in week two, three, or four. I think that's something that's definitely in the realm of possibility. But I wouldn't dismiss Dylan Sterling Cole at all from not only being the starter in week one, but probably being the starter 
the entire season. You just never know what's going to transpire in fall camp. Uh, I mean, just like Jaden Daniels is definitely striving to improve from what he did or didn't do in the spring, so does Dylan Sterling Calls. And that's really the great mystery of fall camp. Can Jaden Daniels build on what he did in the spring or the freshman wall that he never hit in the spring? Is that something he actually hits in fall camp? Does Dylan Sterling Cole, who probably hears all that talk that you're, that all of us are hearing about Jaden Daniels may being the favorite son, for lack of a better term, when it comes to the quarterback race, maybe he takes it upon himself to really... I'm not going to say turn the corner or get over the hump because I don't think he had a horrible spring by any means, but maybe to elevate his game so strong out of the gates that the possibility of Jaden Daniels starting, which to some may seem as a near guarantee, now becomes very much in question. So Jordan Simone's prediction is not far-fetched by any means, but I would not etch that in stone in terms of the eventual outcome of this starting quarterback battle. Next question comes from the original Sun Devil for Life. How do you see Marvin Lewis's hire making an impact at Arizona State? Um, That's a question that I did address in the very uh, beginning of this podcast. I think not only so much for players, but also the coaches, the parents, the mentors that are in the life of those prospects, that they might be very impressed seeing a Marvin Lewis and interacting with Lewis during the recruiting process that they can also help sway the prospect towards Arizona State. And that's besides the obvious factor of any given prospect having aspirations to go to the NFL. And as mentioned, just seeing Marvin Lewis as one of many members of the Arizona State coaching staff with NFL ties, just having that aspect influence the recruiting process with Arizona State. But really, more specifically, and something I didn't really mention that much earlier, is that obviously the younger players may not know Marvin Lewis all that well, but their parents, their mentors, their coaches definitely know who Marvin Lewis is. And if they happen to to be big fans of Marvin Lewis or maybe didn't have that much of an opinion, but as he goes throughout the recruiting process, are impressed with him more and more, can really make that connection, that's where the hiring of Marvin Lewis can really pay dividends. There's really no way to overstate in my eyes just that NFL credibility that this coaching staff has. That is something that very, very few staff staffs around the country can claim. And I'm not saying it's going to help Arizona State with each and every recruit, but recruits that are really enamored with the NFL more than others, that can definitely aid Arizona State quite a bit in its recruiting efforts. The next question comes from Pac-10 Devil. Kent State only won two games last year, but returned a bunch of key starters, and looking at the scores, they only lost by one or two scores most games, even versus the big Power 5 teams, similar to Arizona State last season. Any chance we should be scared for an upset, especially if we're starting a true freshman? And I'm assuming you mean a true freshman at quarterback, which is is a possibility if Jaden Daniels does win that battle. We're going to talk about this more as we get closer to the beginning of the season, but much like last year, I think we're going to see an offense that is going to be heavily reliant on the run. I think last year it was done just because the defense was very young, learning a new scheme. And this year, the reliance on the running game 
or the heavy reliance on the running game, I should say, would be due to the fact that you are going to have an inexperienced quarterback, whether it's a true freshman like Jaden Daniels or whether it's a, a player like junior Dylan Sterling Cole, who doesn't have a lot of playing time under his belt either. It's no secret that Herm Edwards prefers a ball-controlled offense, and there's no doubt in my mind that we will see that again in 2019, not only because that's his philosophy, but also to protect from the element of having an inexperienced signal caller committing mistakes or just not really moving the offense with the efficiency through the passing game that we saw last year. So that's an overall approach to the season that I think can help Arizona State prevent upsets. But I also feel that the development of the defense, which still might be pretty young in some areas, but just having that extra year of experience under the 3-3-5 scheme is another facet of this team that can prevent upsets keep games within arm's length, much like it did last year, and give the offense at least a chance at comeback wins, even with some of the struggles that the passing game may have because of an inexperienced quarterback. But really interesting question. I really, really enjoyed uh, this one. Next question comes from Sean222. Do you see the program in better shape than it was in the past? Well, you weren't specific in terms of what you would define as the past, but I see this program as being better than it was in 2015 and 16. There's no doubt about that. 2017 and 2018 had the exact record. 2017 obviously being the last year under Todd Graham, 2018 being the first year under Herm Edwards, but I definitely feel that there were noticeable advancements with the defense and those as i mentioned earlier are going to continue to trend in the right direction in 2019 in terms of the offense does the inexperience at quarterback really halt any progression of this side of the ball can you know benjamin if not duplicate last year's numbers come very close to it to really achieve the goal of taking the pressure off the passing game, thus allowing it to play at a level as it did last year. Those are obviously the burning questions coming into 2019. But when you look at the offense and the defense compared to last year, compared to recent years, that's how I see it. If you look at a more macro level in terms of the staff, overall health of the program, the way things are run, then yes, I do see things, again, trending in the right direction as you want them to see, even though it's been only year two under Herm Edwards. I'd like to think that we're not going to see the mass staff defections that we've seen in the last few years prior to Herm Edwards' arrival in Tempe, and that's something that should help the program quite a bit moving forward. I feel that the organizational structure may take a year or two to really produce the results a lot of fans are expecting it to produce, but in terms of overall overall health of the program, in terms of, like you said, being in a better shape, then yes, I think that it is 
to some extent in better shape, to some extent has positioned itself to improve significantly over the last few years, and it may be just a matter of when and not if. The next question comes from somebody that has his own podcast and can't stay in his own lane, has to come bug me with my podcast, one Joe Healy, if I'm pronouncing this correctly. What is the potential of the 2019-20 basketball team if the junior colleges pan out? Well, Joe, uh, I think uh, you're definitely on the right path over here that the junior college players will absolutely determine any success that the basketball team will have this coming season. Guard Alonzo Verge, if not the best guard coming out of the junior college ranks, uh, definitely top three with the numbers that he put up. And he can add that consistent outside shooting element that, that the team did lack last year. And one of the reasons it lacked was obviously the health issues that Rob Edwards was having. And Alonzo Verge coming in can take a lot of pressure off of Rob Edwards, who did undergo back surgery. I'm not saying the outlook is grim at all in terms of his recovery and time for the beginning of the season. But if Rob Edwards is struggling with his health like he did last year, now having somebody like Alonzo Verge in the lineup can help quite a bit uh, with the outside shooting of this team, a team that I see is going back, if you will, more to its guard your roots just because of the makeup of the roster compared to last year. Uh, there's no doubt that the two front court players, Andre Allen and Khalid Thomas, have to hit the ground running. It's a very thin front court without them or without them playing at an adequate level. And it's hard to see Arizona State coming even close to the number of wins they had last year, let alone having a chance to qualify for the NCAA tournament without both Allen and Thomas playing at a pretty high level and helping out Arizona State, especially in the rebounding department, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast has lost quite a bit with the departures of Zylan Cheatham and Lugan Stort. And there's no question in my mind that both Allen and Thomas, first and foremost, are going to have to replace those rebounding numbers, making sure that Arizona State, who was one of the best rebounding teams in the Pac-12, is able to sustain that success or at least be close enough to it that it doesn't hinder its overall defensive efforts and really offensive rebounds as well. So junior college players for Arizona State, Verge, Allen, and Thomas will have a huge hand in dictating Arizona State's fortunes in this upcoming season. Next question comes from ASU Abbey, a name that I've seen on the message boards for about 20 years now since I've become a beat writer covering Arizona State sports and obviously being a website publisher covering the Sun Devils. Any thoughts on filling the open basketball assistant coaching positions? Uh, this is uh, definitely a curious question, ASU Abbey, because I was told on two different occasions during the month of May that this hiring process has concluded and an announcement was forthcoming. And here we are just entering the month of June uh, without an announcement. Now, do I think those hiring announcements spill over to July? Absolutely not. Even though I already thought they would take place in the month of May. I said early on that I saw these two hirings being a balance between having one assistant 
being stronger on the tactical side, if you will, and the other assistant being more connected with the grassroots recruiting aspect of the team, somebody like an Anthony Coleman, who uh, left the staff from last year. So that's how I see the makeup of the two assistants uh, being hired. Again, I can't tell you exactly when that's going to take place. I thought that right now in the first week of June, we'd be reviewing those hires and talking about the merits of them. But it's quite evident that Bobby Hurley has been very, very diligent in this process, trying to identify the best candidates, waiting until NBA coaching staffs formulated, because I know he was definitely looking at some candidates from those ranks. I think the hiring process is coming to an end here in the next uh, week or two. Again, in terms of the balance between a tactical assistant and somebody who is stronger in recruiting, I think that is the balance you're going to see with these upcoming hires. This is an interesting question from Sundavalum77, who at 1 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, so several hours before Arizona State baseball concluded the season, asked, any thoughts on filling the head baseball coach vacancy? Oh, wait, that hasn't happened yet. I think that there's definitely a 60-40 chance that that may happen. In terms of the candidates that would be in line for this potential vacancy, I think one of the criticism against Tracy Smith is that really going to the Big Ten ranks to find your baseball coach is probably not the best course of action. Arizona State did that also with their softball coach a few years ago, and that didn't really work too well. I would definitely look for a head coach that would have strong West Coast presence, strong West Coast ties to replace Tracy Smith again in the event that that happens, because sitting here Sunday night, we still don't know if Tracy Smith will or will not continue as Arizona State baseball's head coach. But if a coaching change were to be made, then I think it's definitely prudent to expect somebody with strong West Coast ties to fill that vacancy. Next question comes from Santan Devil, who asking for my take on the starting quarterback for the first game of the season. And will the starting quarterback in week one also be the starting quarterback in week three when Arizona State faces Michigan State on the road? And if the competition is very close, how do I see everything unfolding? I think that, in theory, it's going to be harder for Jaden Daniels to be the starter or having his first ever start at Arizona State on the road at Michigan State compared to dealing Sterling Cole. If you recall, the only game that Sterling Cole did start was all the way back in 2016, which seems like 100 years ago, and that was actually starting in Eugene at Austin Stadium facing Oregon a game that for a true freshman back then did do pretty well. So if Sterling Cole was not intimidated by one of the loudest venues, not only in the Pac-12, but in the entire country, I definitely don't see him being apprehensive, being the starter at a place like Michigan State. But the whole element of the competition being close and who starts in that regard like I said, my educated guess is that the nod will be given to Jaden Daniels. And remains to be seen 
if Jaden Daniels is a starter in week one, week two, or week three, which again would be the Michigan State game, or maybe you save him for week four, where Arizona State is going to face Colorado at home, not to belittle Colorado as a team, but when you look, especially at ASU's home games for the upcoming 2019 season, that would definitely fall on the side of the ledger of a less challenging game. So maybe that's the week that you give Jaden Daniels his first start, keeping in mind that you probably gave him a lot of snaps in the first two games against Kent State and Sacramento State. So playing against Colorado or maybe even Michigan State the week before wouldn't really totally overwhelm him. It's really anybody's guess how the coaching staff is going to handle this. And I still feel at the end of the day, the players are really going to make the decision for the coaches as to who's going to start when, rather than the coaches making an arbitrary decision on who's going to be the starter, whether it's week one, week two, week three, and beyond. Next question comes from Justin311. With all the attrition and transfers in football, do you expect any walk-ons to be put on scholarship? I think it's definitely a possibility. It's just a matter of whether ASU has the room to put those walk-ons on scholarship. I know to round out the 2019 class, there's a junior college wide receiver, Brandon Pierce, that Arizona State is looking at that would uh, love to add him to the ranks. And there's one more position after that that ASU can fill. And I know they're looking at a, a transfer offensive lineman regardless of which ranks he would come from. Ideally, also a transfer that actually have to sit out this coming season just because Arizona State has six senior offensive linemen on the roster, and I think it would be pretty hard for a newcomer to break into that rotation, at least as far as being a starter. But on the other hand, that offensive lineman would be in great need for the 2020 and if he has eligibility the 2021 season where Arizona State's offensive line is going to be extremely young so really again it all depends on what the uh, scholarship numbers are looking at so I wouldn't rule it out but I just feel that in terms of Arizona State's priorities there are looking at other avenues if you will rather than granting current walk-ons scholarships Last question comes from NV Sundevil. Prior to spring practice, I know you truly felt that Dylan Sterling Cole will win the quarterback job. However, with the staff's reluctance on playing him last year, as well as Jaden Daniels' spring performance and Jordan Simona's prediction that was mentioned in another question, are you still certain that Dylan Sterling Cole will be the starting quarterback? Well, true. Prior to the spring practice, I felt that Dylan Sterling Cole it would be probably in line to be the starting quarterback because I felt that he could have separated himself during spring practice from the other three, two freshman quarterbacks. Well, he did so definitely in comparison to Joe Yellen and Ethan Long, but did not do so compared to Jaden Daniels and the two quarterbacks are running neck and neck. And I don't know if anybody really felt it was a given that Jaden Daniels could be running neck and neck with Dylan Sterling Cole at the end of spring practice. I mean, sure, a possibility, but I don't think a lot of folks, at least went on record, etching that in stone. I did feel that like Jaden Daniels was going to beat out 
and this is prior to spring practice, was going to beat out Joe Yellen and Ethan Long, and that prediction did come through. As far as my opinion of who's going to win the starting job, and my opinion changed at the end of spring practice, absolutely, based on what I saw in those 15 sessions. And I think that Dylan Sterling Cole would really have to generally separate himself early in fall camp from Jaden Daniels in order to be the starting quarterback. As I mentioned several times before on this podcast, as well as on the message board, if the both are running neck and neck through the first two weeks of fall camp, I feel that Jaden Daniels starting would be a matter of when, not if. But Dilly Stern Cole being the starting quarterback, not only in week one, but also in week two, three, and four and beyond, is not far-fetched as some may see it. But it's really anybody's guess how those first two crucial weeks of fall camp do unfold. Again, just like nobody saw Jaden Daniels really running neck and neck with Dylan Sterling Cole at the end of spring practice, there's no telling if Dylan Sterling Cole can't come shooting out of the gates when fall camp starts and really create enough of a separation that after the first two weeks of fall camp, you can definitely say that as close as Jaden Daniels was at the end of spring practice, this is how far he is noticeably from Dylan Sterling Cole after the first two weeks of fall camp. So again, it's still a possibility that can happen, but at the end of spring practice, I said the two are running neck and neck, and Jaden Daniels will be given more of the benefit of the doubt if the two quarterbacks two, three weeks into fall camp, we cannot make a significant separation between the two. One thing is for sure, all eyes were on the quarterback competition all throughout spring practice, and it will be more of the same when fall camp starts for Arizona State. And that'll do it for this episode of the Devil Junkies podcast, and it was a loaded episode for what's supposed to be a slow time of year. But as Sun Devil fans, I'm sure you can never get enough discussion concerning Sun Devil sports. I hope you enjoyed my takes on ASU football, basketball, and baseball, and the answers to the questions that our subscribers had. And speaking of subscribers, if you're not already a premium member of DevilsIdis.com, would definitely love to see you in the Devil's Huddle. And trust me, as long-winded as this podcast may have been, I talk much more at length about all topics Sun Devil sports. Keep in mind that football's fall camp is just under two months from now, and you definitely want to be a subscriber at that time of year so we can talk at length about not only a highly anticipated starting quarterback battle, but really all matters regarding ASU football, and I suspect we're going to hear some news about basketball and baseball in the upcoming weeks. So thanks again for tuning in, and have a great week. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town All my friends were vampires Did